brothers. Both you men are a great blessing to us and a great challenge for us. Thankful for the church. Thankful for this church. May God use it as we seek after Him, even as we come now together this morning, consider His Word from Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, we're going to begin this morning in verse 11, work our way through verse 13. I remind you that what we're considering today is the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came into this world not only to die for us, that we might be saved, but to teach us what it means to be His follower, what it means to be a child of God. And I pray that He would help us today as we consider Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 11. Hear now the Word of God. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? If he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Our Father, we're thankful now for your word. We're thankful for our Lord who has given it to us. Will you remind us that we do this every week, Father, some of us for decades, come into a room like this and hear a monologue explaining a passage from the ancient book. Will you remind us this morning what we are doing as we are considering the very words of God. That our Lord came and He taught us that we might hear Him, that we might receive His Word with the joy of the Holy Spirit and be changed by it. And so as you have heard, I trust scores of prayers these past 15 days. Father, we join together once again, even as our brother has reminded us in one heart and one mind and ask you to begin a new work in Hamilton Baptist Church. Do it through your word even now. Send your spirit as our Lord taught us to ask it for. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, George Mueller has become known throughout church history as, as a man of prayer, perhaps the man of prayer. It's a man who cared for thousands, tens of thousands of orphans in the 19th century and did so without ever asking for a single penny to do it. Well, that's not actually, it's not exactly right. He did ask for a penny. He just asked it from God. He never wrote a missionary letter. Never said, okay, here are our needs. This is how you could sponsor an orphan. This is how you could clothe an orphan, feed an orphan, educate an orphan. I got 10,000 orphans. I'm trying to care for all of them. This is how you can get involved. He never did that. Not a single time. He just prayed. He just said, God, I have to care for these orphans. You're the father of the fatherless. You provide what they need. And he not only prayed, but he wrote down his prayers. In fact, he recorded 50,000 answers to prayer. 10,000 of which he said, God answered the very day I asked it. And part of me is tempted to 
to talk to you about some of the extraordinary stories he writes about in his autobiography. The, the one day he gathered the orphans in one orphan house around the breakfast table to give thanks for their breakfast, but there was no breakfast. The table was not set. There was no food left. And this man of faith knew that God was going to give the daily bread, so he thanked God for the food in which they had not yet received. Before breakfast was over, food was on the table. And we could go on and on and on about George Mueller, this man of prayer. But what I want to talk to you about is not his ministry with his orphans, but his, his family. He who cared for thousands of orphans was also a father. He had four children of his own, biological children. Two of them were stillborn. A third lived, his boy, son, lived one year before he died. His daughter Lydia would live into adulthood, but she too would be buried by her father, dying an untimely death. Mueller had a beloved wife named Mary, also died way too early, and she left her husband's side as she was diagnosed with rheumatic fever. And Mueller prayed and prayed and prayed that she would get well, and she did not get well. He preached her funeral. He said, were we happy? Verily we were. With every year our happiness increased more and more. I never saw my beloved wife at any time when I met her unexpectedly without being delighted to do so. Day by day as we met in our dressing room or at the orphan houses to wash our hands before dinner and tea, I was delighted to meet her and she was equally pleased to see me. Thousands of times I told her, my darling... I never saw you at any time since you became my wife without being delighted to see you. 50,000 answers to prayer. And yet when he prayed for those closest, it seemed like no answer came. You know, prayer at times is, is, is wonderful, isn't it? Sometimes you're in need and, and you, you call out to God and God, please answer, please help. And it's like God just comes charging into the scene. The hero comes for the rescue. And you just want to sing and shout, my God answers prayer. My God is here. My God comes, right? You've experienced that, I hope. You certainly have heard those testimonies of what, how God has answered people's prayer. Prayer is wonderful. But then, but prayers also at times, isn't it painful? Is there not a darker side to when we plead and plead and we just lay it out before God and we think, surely God is going to answer. Surely this is God's will. Surely He wants my marriage reconciled or my child to get well or He wants me to provide for my family. Surely it's all going to work out. God is going to answer and we just lay it out before God and plead with Him. And all we get back is silence followed by confusion and sadness and hurt in our heart. I think of David pleading with God for the life of his son. Please spare my son, he said. Seven days all he did was pray, fasting in sackcloth and ashes. Didn't eat, didn't get up, laying it out before God. Will you please heal him? God did not heal him. We don't hear those testimonies often, right? I prayed and prayed, and it got worse. We don't bring those people in front of the church. 
and say, okay, this, this is what happened. But if you have followed Christ long enough, certainly you have experienced something like that. Have you not? You know those who have. There are times when, when we, we plead with God and it seems like no answer comes. I want to talk to you about that today. What's going on there? What's happening? Last week we, we said we should pray confidently to the Lord. We saw that Jesus says in verse 9 that, uh, uh, that you ask and you receive and you seek and you find and you knock and the door opens to you. And Jesus is telling you you should be confident in your prayers. And some of you, I imagine, were left, left last service thinking, how can I be confident? I've been praying and praying and nothing is happening. And I, I want to consider why. What's going on there? We, of course, have been considering Jesus' wonderful teaching on prayer for the past three weeks here in Luke chapter 11. It all started in verse 1 when the disciples came to Him. You see that there? And they came to the Lord and said, Lord, teach us to pray. And so what Jesus has been doing is He's been answering that question. He's been answering that prayer request, if you will. He has been teaching them to pray. And last two weeks, we've joined the disciples and we have asked Him to do the same thing. Can we do that one more time? You see that little five-word prayer there in verse 1? Will you pray that out loud with me? Lord, teach us to pray. We need to be taught to pray as the disciples needed to be taught to pray. D.A. Carson, I think, is right when he says we have become so proficient at so many things in the American church that we have forgotten how to pray. He says we've learned how to organize, build institutions, publish books, insert ourselves into the media, develop evangelistic strategies, and administer discipleship programs, but we have forgotten how to pray. We need to be taught to pray by the Lord. And so two weeks ago, we considered what should we pray? What is the content of our prayers? Last week, we considered how we should pray. How does the Lord want us to come? We saw it come boldly, relentlessly, confidently. Today, we consider why pray. What is the motivation behind our prayer? And I'll I'll just kind of lay it out uh, uh, for you before we dive into it, and I will suggest to you that the motivation for prayer is all rooted in your family status with God. It all comes back to who God is and who you are. He is your Father, and you are His child. And you will not understand prayer, as I've said time and again over the last three weeks, until you understand who you are in God. He starts to teach them to pray. You see that? He says, teach us to pray. He says, okay, this is how you pray. You need to know who you're praying to. What does He say? God, Sovereign Lord, Creator of the universe? No, He says Father. Every single time Jesus ever prayed. He addressed God as Father except when He was dying on the cross. And then He ends His teaching on prayer. And where are we? Verse 13. He's talking about you evil fathers are not like our good, what? Heavenly Father. And Jesus keeps driving it home. He is your Father. You need to understand that. Now I know you've heard that for the past two weeks and you might be thinking Pastor, are you you just going to talk to us about the fatherhood of God again today? We've already heard this. Yes, that's exactly what I plan to do. I'm going to talk to you about the fatherhood of God today and how it impacts your prayers. You need to have this drilled into your heart. It needs to take root within you. You need to be desperate for your father. You need to become dependent upon your father like a little toddler dependent upon him for everything. God is your heavenly father and you ought to pray because your heavenly father is good. He is good. The first motivation, reason to pray is pray because your Father is good. Note verse 13. Jesus says, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? 
So he begins by doing this contrast, right? And he identifies who we are. You who are, what is it? Evil. Right? That's not very nice, is it? I don't know when the last time you stood in front of hundreds of thousands of people and said, listen, you all need to understand you're evil. Right? And you think, wait a second, I thought he's talking to his disciples. Well, he is. His disciples are evil. That's, that's not my words. That's the words of the Lord. That may be startling to you, especially if you're not a Christian. What do you mean they're evil? Right? Why does he call us evil? Why do he call them evil? You may be startled by that. You notice they're not startled by that. There's no pushback whatsoever. They're not saying, whoa, wait a second. Why are you calling us evil? What are you talking about? They know they're evil because they've read the Bible. And the Bible says evil equals us, good equals God. Rich young ruler comes to Jesus, good teacher. Jesus says, hold on a second. Why are you calling me good? Only God himself is good. So the Bible understands us as evil, God as good. If you know your heart and all, you know there is evil inside your heart. You notice he doesn't soften it. He doesn't say you are weak or sinful or make mistakes. He says, you, my disciples, and all the rest are evil. Now, let me just pull back a minute. Certainly there's good in us. Please don't understand when we say we're evil. That means there's no good in us. It's, that's wrong teaching. Sometimes people teach that. They take the doctrine of total depravity and they go too far. There is good within every single one of us where we are created in the image of God. We are capable of good and wonderful and uh, uh, acts. But there's evil in every single, in, in even every single one of our good acts. And Jesus identifies this. This is who we are. This is why we need a Savior. So we are evil and God is, is not. He's only good. And the reason I think this is important, I just, I know it's kind of rudimentary. God is good is my point. But I, I, want to, I want you to understand this because when I say, listen, God is your Father, and you pray to God as your Father, for some people, that's not good news. Right? Some people, you understand the evil of fathers better than other people. Like 40% of, 40% of children today, is this not extraordinary? 40% of American children today will go sleep in a home without their dad living there. And many of those children have been abandoned by their father. They've walked away. Others live with their father and they find their father hard and unloving and indifferent and angry and irritable and drunk. And Jesus understands this. He knows this. This is why he says us earthly dads are evil because he does not want you to limit your father in heaven by the limitations of your father on earth. This is why he goes beyond simply saying God is your father. He does say that, but he says not only is God your father, God is better than your earthly father. Because your earthly father is evil and God is not. Even the best of fathers, the very best, right, are, have only a fraction of the love that your heavenly father has for you. How much better, if we could rephrase Jesus' teaching here in verse 13. How much better is your Father in heaven? Right? That's what he wants to drive home. Now, I don't know if I've told you, I really, really, really love being a dad. Right? You, you may not know that, but I do. In fact, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have one of my children help me. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come to... Magdalene, will you come here? This is Magdalene. Come on up here, sweetheart. This is, this is Magdalene. Magdalene... I call her Leany. Uh, isn't she beautiful? Yep, looks like her mama. 
Magdalene is six years old. She, well, you're my fifth child. And, and when you turn six, what happens in our family when you turn six? Go backpacking. That's right. So Magdalene's going to go on her first backpacking trip in a couple months with Daddy up in Papa, West Virginia. We're going to have a wonderful time. Now, I love being Magdalene's daddy. You know, I love being all my children's daddy. Do you know why? Is it because she does what I tell her to do? I mean, is that, what it, is that what's great about being a father? you got these kids and you say, okay, I want you to do this and I want you to do that. And they run off and do it and you think, wow, being a dad is great. <laughs> no. You know what's great about being a dad? It's the love, isn't it? It's the relationships. It's the hugs. Okay, you go back to mommy. Some of you think God's about rules. Okay, that's what it means. Here's the commandments. Obey. Jesus said, wait a second. He's your father. Do you not understand? You relate to him with love and hugs and affection and desire. And he has none of the evil that your earthly dad has. And some of you think, you know, I don't know about that because I, my life, I, I never got a hug from my dad. And, and there was never any conversations with my dad. And I was just trying not to mess up with my dad. And Jesus says, your father in heaven has none of those hang-ups. He is nothing like that. And I'll tell you, as I've told you last two weeks, this is crucial to sustaining a life of prayer. You will not pray if you think your father is indifferent and angry. You will not pray... If, if you think you're going to show up and he's going to be in a foul mood or he's going to be drunk or he's going to yell at you or, or call you names, right? Prayer is sustained. Prayer is inflamed when we know how much better is our heavenly father than even the best earthly fathers. Your father in heaven is a 10,000, 10 million times better than even the best dad and he cares about every one of your problems. And this is then he invites you to come to him. I care for you so much more than your earthly dad. Now will you not come to me? Pray because your father in heaven is good. Secondly, pray because your father gives good gifts. Look in verse 11. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Jesus imagines this grotesque scene Almost as if it's like an Edgar Allan Poe story where a, a kid, a trusting son, comes to his dad and says, Dad, can I have a fish for lunch? And his dad says, Sure, son. And his son trustingly reaches out. And rather than a fish, there's a, there's a writhing serpent or a, or a scorpion between a couple pieces of bread. Right? And Jesus says, What father would do that? And by the way, and we are, right? We're what? Evil. Right? We're evil, and what do we do? We give good gifts. Even evil dads, angry dads, lazy dads, inconsiderate, selfish dads give good gifts. Right? We understand this. We need to care for our children. You you parents, you grandparents, moms and dads, you would be undone if you had brought evil upon your children. Right? There's something in us that God has put in us that that drives us to care for them, drives us to love them. I remember my firstborn, Anastasia was born, and holding her in my arms, and 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 I I got this child. And some of you can you can relate to this. You you think, who are you? 
And how do you have such power over me? I, I mean, I literally just met you and the intensity of love that I have for a person I met simply a minute ago is overwhelming to me. We feel that in us. I got a phone call a couple weeks ago from a, a, a family who had been visiting here at this church and he was, took a job out of state, he and his wife and four-year-old daughter, and they got, they got stuck out of state and daughter got sick and spent a couple weeks in the hospital and they've run out of money and... They've been living in their car for 10 days, and, and I could hear the desperation in this man's voice. He said, I've talked to every church out here, and no one will help me. And he says, I can't get passed on to somebody else. I need to get my daughter. Well, I need to get her medicine. Will you help me? And I said, yeah, man, I will, I will help you. Of course I'll help you. I felt that, that pull in me. I, I heard his wife begin to cheer in the background, right? Because we have this gut sense that we want to provide for our children. We love to give good gifts to them, right? Parents, grandparents, don't you love to give to your kids? That's one of my favorite things to do is to bless my kids. You say, Stephen, do you spoil your kids? You better believe it. I spoil my kids. We have a rule in my house. You ask my kids, I will spoil you as long as you don't act spoiled. Right? <laughs> right? Once you say, is that all there is? Or can I get more? Then, then there's a whole new ball game. But I'll spoil, with Valentine's Day, us boys send our girls out of the house. You go out on the town, we clean the house, cooked a five-course meal, got our uh, jackets and ties on, our flowers ready. Our girls came home because we want to bless them. We love to give good gifts. We feel this in our heart. Parents, how much good do you want for your kids? Is it not almost unlimited? You feel that. And Jesus says, take that feeling in your gut and multiply it by 10 million And then throw that on God. That's how much good God wants for you. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in a similar passage says, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask Him? Our Father delights in giving us good gifts. He wants us to be joyful and thankful and well cared for. And so pray because your Father gives good gifts. In fact, He only gives good gifts. So consider this third reason to pray. Pray because your Father gives only good gifts. This is where things get challenging, I think. Because there are times when we've been asking for our Father. We've been praying to Him. We don't get what we're asking for. We're like George Mueller praying for his wife or his four children and... We're not getting what we want. And sometimes we pray, and not only do, is it, do we not get what we want, it gets worse. A person doesn't, not only doesn't get better, they, they get worse, and we think it's not working. And we saw Jesus in verse 9 says, Ask, and you'll receive, and seek, and you'll find, and knock, and the door will be open to you. And then in verse 10, just to hammer that home, He says, If everyone who asks, what? Receives. And everyone who seeks finds, and everyone who knocks has a door open to us. And He gives us this incredible inducement to prayer, these incredible promises to pray. He says, ask and you will receive. And you think, well, I've asked and I've asked and I've asked and I'm not receiving. And I think this once again is how, the only way to understand this in my mind is that you understand that, that God is your, God, uh, your Father and you are His, His child. Right? Last time we said you can't approach God as the boss. 
Some of you think of God as a boss and you think, well, I, 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 he's my boss and I've blown it so I can't come to him. I, I showed up late for work. How can I ask for my wages? And I, I can't come to him. And you think, well, I, I can't ask him because I did this and I did that. And if you, that's your prayer life, you, you think of God incorrectly. He's not your boss. He's your father. He wants you to come to him even when you've blown it. Some of you think that God's a, a robot or a computer and you say, why do I have to keep asking and asking? I inputted the data. Why can't I just say, give me my lifetime bread and it's done? Why do I have to ask him? Well, it's because he's not a robot. He's your father. He wants a relationship with you. Prayer is how you draw near to him. Well, here I think Jesus helps us understand another aspect of who God is not. God is not your genie. God does not grant wishes. He is not a genie. He is your father. And I'll tell you, it is better to have a father than a genie. Right? It's better to have a father than a genie. Can you imagine if a child stumbles on a genie's lamp? What if my four-year-old found a genie's lamp today? I, I, w- I would caution us all to run and take shelter. Right? <laughs> like, flee the country. My kid has three wishes. Right? Right? You, you don't give a four-year-old three wishes. You don't give a four-year-old a, a genie's lamp. You're a toddler, Christian. Your father is not a genie. And the only way to understand prayer is to understand that I am his child, and I'm coming to a, my father, and I'm laying my heart out before him, but he is far wiser and knows far better than what I actually know. And he knows what I need. I mean, this is, this is what parents do. Do parents always say yes to their children? The kids comes and say, can I have this? Can I have that? And all you parents say, yeah, go for it. Yeah, light off fireworks in the bedroom. That sounds like a good idea. Go for it. No. Right? A loving father will not give to his kids what's bad for them. Even if they pout, even if they throw fit, even if they get angry, even if they think you're a moron, you, you don't give them what is bad for them. You explain how much you love them. You explain that you want their good. And they often cannot hear it. They're deaf to that. And yet, and yet that's what you do. You don't give them evil. Right? Only the wicked father thinks, oh, I'm sorry, honey, I broke your heart. Go ahead and play with fire. We only give what's good. I remember when, when my son Josiah, he turned six years old, and I, I gave him a, a saw for his birthday. And uh, he, he, it was like the best gift he could have ever received. He has this saw, and off he went outside, and trees start coming down, and, <laughs> right? Buildings and forts start being erected, and I stood on the back porch beaming with pride, and... There's my son subduing the earth, right? Uh, exercising dominion. And he, man, he, lo- he still to this day loves to build things and tear things apart. And, but what if my six-year-old son, Josiah, he came to me and said, Dad, this saw is great. I really like it. But you know what would make it better? What if it had power? Right? Can we get power? What about a chainsaw, Dad? Can we get a chainsaw? And I would take my six-year-old son and say, Son, I, I love you. And because I love you, no, you can't have a chainsaw. Chainsaws are not for six years old. And, and, and then what if I said no to him, and then he went to his mom and said, you know, mom, you know, I asked dad for a chainsaw, but it's not working. Right? It's, it's not working. I guess I just won't talk to him anymore. I won't ask him for things for anymore. Because I asked, and it seems like it's not working. And I would come to him, and I'd say, it is working. 
I did hear you. And I said, no, because I will not give you bad things. Right? This is what parenting is, isn't it? Can I have this? No, you can't. But how about this? Can I eat this? No, but how about this? Can I watch this? No, but how about this? Can, you know, can, can, I, can I get this thing? We're constantly redirecting them, aren't we? And the only way to understand unanswered prayers to understand you're asking your father who's far wiser than you are. And I think that Jesus even brings up this implication, right? He says, if you ask for a fish, what father is going to give you a serpent? Well, what if the kid asks for the serpent? What if he asks for a scorpion? Do you give it to him? No, is the answer. No, you don't. Right? You might say, well, how about a dog? No, you can't have a scorpion. How about a dog? Right? This is what parents are constantly doing. Parents are constantly responding to the needs of their children, even when they are denying their requests because they love them. And I tell you this morning that God loves you and he loves you perfectly and he knows how everything in your life is going to impact you and bring you to the point where he wants you to go and he will not give you something bad even if you ask for it. God will not give serpents to his children. He will not give them scorpions even if you ask for one. One pastor puts it this way. When I pray, I will either get what I asked for or get what I should have asked for if I had known everything my father knows. And I want, I want you to understand this, Christian. I want you to be in, deep in your heart that God is saying, I, I hear you and I'm going to answer, but I'm going to answer in a way that's far better than even what you're asking for. And sometimes that means you get what you ask for, like Mueller 10,000 times in the day of. Other times you get something better or in a better time, but it's always good. It's always good. Remember Jesus teaching right here in Luke 11 immediately follows that story with Mary and Martha? Isn't that interesting? This story on teaching immediately follows an event where Jesus says no to a prayer. Remember Martha comes in there all flustered and says, Lord, tell my sister Mary to help me. And Jesus says to her what? No. Right now, Martha thinks she knows what she needs, but she doesn't. She thinks she needs a banquet. There needs to be a seven-course banquet here, and what she really needs is Jesus. And Jesus says, no, I'm not going to answer your prayer. Why? Because one thing is, what is it? Necessary. Remember that? One thing is necessary. She says, I need this. Jesus says, no, you don't. That's a scorpion. You're asking for a scorpion. I love you. Martha, Martha, remember? Tenderness. Drawing her to himself. I'm not going to give you what you're asking for because it is bad for you. And we must learn to understand this. That if we're not, our, our requests are not being answered, it's because God is doing something powerful in our lives. And sometimes, in, sometimes you think, How? I mean, Pastor, if you knew my life, how is this good for me? Or how is the thing I'm asking for a serpent? I'm just asking for my my home to be restored. I'm just asking for my child to be healed or whatever it might be. How can that possibly be a scorpion? And, And sometimes we feel like Joseph languishing in prison, don't we? Taken from his family. Would not see his father for for decades and decades. His mother, his brothers and Sister, taken from his homeland, forgotten, and locked in a dungeon in Egypt, in a foreign land? How would you like to be taken from your family and locked away somewhere in Afghanistan? Right? Not for days or weeks or months, but years locked there in a prison, in a foreign land, far from his family, for a thousand good reasons that only God could know. Only God knew. He, he loves you. He's not giving you a serpent, Christian. He will never give you a serpent. 
He knows what is best for you. And He only gives good. The question is, do you trust Him? Do you trust Him as a loving Father? Last week, I encouraged you to pray like a child. That is, pray boldly. Right? Just be bold with your Father. Today, I want to encourage you to pray like a child once again. Pray submissively. I'm not asking you, do you understand why God is not doing what you're calling for Him? I'm not asking you to understand how can this be good. I'm asking you to submit to Him. I'm asking you to trust He is good. I'm asking you to trust He will never give you evil. It is the foolish child that wants to run the house. It is the foolish child that wants to push Dad aside. It is the foolish child that wants a genie. Right? Do you trust Him? Now this, of course, is easy for me to preach. My life is going well. Right? The sky is blue and the flowers are blooming. and I don't face the trials that some of you are facing right now. So it's one thing for me to say, you know, trust that God is doing good in your life even when it's painful and hard. But let me give you three quick examples as to people who are in the midst of unbelievable pain and sorrow and yet still believe this. The first comes from Scripture. It's from our Lord. Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane headed to the cross to bear the wrath of all who would trust in Him, bear the wrath of God, to be kicked out of the family, to bear God's punishment, not for His sin, but for my sin and your sin. And He prays not once, not three times, sweating drops of blood, what, not my will, but Your will be done. Because He knew He's the child and God is the Father. And even though He has His heart's desire, even though He's pleading like you have never pled before, that another plan would be taken. He submitted to the Father and said, I don't want to derail your plans. I'm not demanding that I run the house. I am submitting to you. Or consider, secondly, James Montgomery Boyce, the famous pastor, a 10th Presbyterian in Philadelphia, was diagnosed with cancer and just months later would die. He preached his last sermon about four weeks before he succumbed from cancer. He said this, God is not the only... God is not only the one who is in charge, God is also good. And everything He does is good. If God, some, if, if God does something in your life, would you change it? If you would change it, you would make it worse. It wouldn't be as good. Here's a man in the prime of his life, be struck down by cancer. It's not saying, don't pray for my cancer. That may be God's will to heal. But he's saying, trust God in the midst of it. Or consider George Mueller, who, as I mentioned, buried four children and his wife. She told a story at her funeral. Listen to a grieving man. He said, the last portion of Scripture which I read to my precious wife was this, quote, No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. I am in myself a poor, worthless sinner, but I have been saved by the blood of Christ. Therefore, I walk uprightly before God. So if it is really good for me and her, my darling wife will rise up again. God will restore her again. But if she is not restored again, then I trust it would, be a good, it would not be a good thing. And so my heart is at rest. Here's a man who says, I am satisfied with God. And all this springs from taking God and His Word and believing what He says. God gives what is good 100%. Of the time. And only good. He never gives evil. Even when it's hard. 
He's your Father. He knows what He's doing. He has an understanding of where He's taking you. He knows how it all fits together and He'll never give you evil. Christian, do you believe that? Do you believe that? You need to submit to your Father. Or as the song says, Be gone, unbelief. My Savior is near. And for my relief will surely appear. By prayer let me wrestle and He will perform with Christ in the vessel, you know it? I smile at the storm. With Christ in the vessel, I smile at the storm. Pray because your Father only gives good gifts. Lastly, fourth reason to pray, because our Father gives the best gift. Our Father gives the best gift. Note again, verse 13, the Lord says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? We're not expecting Him to say that. We're expecting Him to say what He said in Matthew. If you then are evil know how to give, give good gifts, uh, how much more will your Father give good gifts to those who ask Him? And we come to Luke and He surprises us because He says, how much more will your Heavenly Father not give good gifts, but give the best thing to those who ask Him? Namely, Himself. Namely, the Holy Spirit. Here, the Father will give you the Holy Spirit. Now, if we're honest, I think, at least I'll, I'll be honest, it, at first blush, it's kind of disappointing. Right? I, I kind of, if you had, what would you, what do you, what would you like? Good things or the Holy Spirit? I think quite often my heart says, well, I'll, I'll take option one. What's, what's behind door number one? Right? I, I appreciate what Tim Keller imagines a conversation as he's preaching through this passage. You know, verse 9 says, Ask and receive, seek and find, knock and the door will be open to you. And he says, you know, it's as if God, Jesus is coming to us and says, listen, ask for whatever you want. Ask for it and God will give it to you. And you'd be kind of taken back by that. you say, well, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever your heart's desire, whatever's on your heart, go for it. Ask God. Ask the Father for it. And He's going to, he's going to give it to you. Whatever you can imagine. And, and you might say, are, are you sure? And Jesus will come to you and say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the, the best possible thing you can imagine, most of it, the most wonderful thing, whatever your, your heart's after, your desiring, you go, you go boldly into Father's house and you ask Him for it and He will give it to you. And you would say, okay, that sounds incredible. And Jesus will say, yeah, yeah, for example, ask for the Holy Spirit. And then you might say, oh, you'd be disappointed. Because you weren't thinking of the Holy Spirit. You weren't thinking of overflowing love and a peace that passes all understanding and indomitable joy. You were thinking of a promotion or romance or a new car, early retirement. And when Jesus thinks of the best thing, He doesn't think of those things. He thinks of the Holy Spirit. And I think Jesus confronts us. I think we see here in this passage, if we're honest with ourselves, that our priorities don't always line up with Jesus' priorities. When He says you ask of the Holy Spirit, I think Jesus can think of no greater gift than the Father can give you. Right? And we are at the same time disappointed. Is that it? It's just the Holy Spirit? I really want a new golf clubs. I really want a new sleeping bag. Jesus, no, ask. Right? Never mind the, you know, the Holy Spirit. He, God used Him to create everything, including you and I. Holy Spirit guided King, spoke through prophets, anointed Jesus, empowered Him throughout His life. 
And he says, ask for the Holy Spirit. We're thinking, well, we kind of shrug our shoulders. In fact, I, I would imagine if, if, I, if I told you, listen, I have, a, I have a, a closet full of genie's lamps. And, you know, I got, I got more than I need. And so tomorrow, if you want to show up here at the church building, maybe around noon, I'll give whoever wants a genie's lamp. There's genie in it. Rub it. He'll give you three wishes, whatever you want. Right? I pretty much guarantee every single one of you will be here tomorrow noon. Right? And you would tell pretty much all your friends, pastors giving out genie lamps. Right? And we would all show up. And I would be there in line too if I wasn't giving away. But if I said, hey, tomorrow at noon, we're going to gather as a faith family and we're going we're to go before our Father in heaven and we're going to ask for the Holy Spirit. And we're going to ask that He would give us this unbelievable peace and joy and patience and overflowing love that we just love people naturally and we have this contentment in our life and we're going to just go, go to the Father and ask for Him and, and I invite you to show up tomorrow at noon and, and there may be 20 people. Right? I understand there's probably a dozen things wrong with that analogy. But set those aside for a moment. I just want to challenge you. As you look at the priorities of Jesus Christ, and then you look at what your own heart is after. Do you really need more things? And don't you want this peace that just can't be shaken? Don't you want a contentment? That can never be taken from you? Don't you want this? Don't you want love for others just to be natural? Just to flow out from you? Don't you want beautiful humility and absolute purpose and peace beyond understanding? Don't you want to be in the midst of the storm with Christ at your side? Wouldn't you rather be in the storm with Jesus than outside the storm by yourself? To ask for the Holy Spirit. And the Father will give you. He'll give you His best gift. He'll give you His presence. The Holy Spirit will testify to the power and presence of God in our life. You want to read about the Holy Spirit? John 14 through 16. Wonderful teaching on the Holy Spirit. It's called the Farewell Discourse. I encourage you, maybe this week, you can consider that passage. Jesus is about to leave. His apostles are terribly upset that He is leaving. He says, where are you going? We can't do this without you. He says, don't worry. It's actually good that I leave because if I'm leaving, I'm going to send the Spirit to you. And the Spirit will testify to me. The Spirit will glorify me. And the Spirit will teach you everything you need to know about me. And the Spirit will guide you and gift you and equip you and convict you. And, and, the, and the Spirit, by the Spirit, I will manifest myself to you. Romans chapter 5, the Bible says, Hope does not disappoint us, for God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. You want to feel and understand and appreciate the love of God for you? That is a Spirit's job poured out into your heart. You know why you get angry with your wife or irritable with your children or discontent with life? It is not because you need more stuff or more time or more money. You know why you lack self-control? It's not because you need more or sleep, you need the Spirit of God in you. You need Him. We need Him. Christ said, I can do nothing on my own. It's the Son of God. I can't do anything except by the Spirit of God. Why aren't we desperate for Him? Why aren't I Why am I constantly panting after trinkets? Well, God says, I'll give you my Spirit. I'll put my presence in you. He'll experience His power and presence. God, help us.
You talk about boldness. Can you imagine what he's asking? It's like coming to the Father and say, Father, I know you're really busy. You're running the universe and everything. But I was thinking that maybe we could spend all day together. And, and in fact, I was thinking maybe even better than that, you could come and live inside of me. And, and, and I know I'm sinful and I'm not like Jesus. And, but that would be great if you could just come and take up residence in me. And not just for today, but how about you know, like forever? Talk about impudent, right? Bold. So Christ is telling us to pray. But Father, help us understand what we need. I say to you in closing this morning, you'll never understand prayer until you know God is your Father. That will inform what you pray for, teach you how to pray, tell you why to pray. The best thing in, for your prayer life you can do is not to focus on prayer. It's to focus on the one to whom you're praying. When you drive home today, you will not be focusing on the windshield. Right? I hope not. You will not drive well. Right? You focus on where you're going. You look through the windshield to where you're going. Prayer is just a way to get to the Father. It's how He has invited us into His presence. So don't focus so much on prayer. Focus on Father. Dear Father, if we knew who He was, a good Father, completely for us, I think we'd pray with greater delight and zeal and earnestness. Maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian. You do not identify yourself as a follower of Jesus Christ. I want to tell you this morning that Jesus offers you a relationship with God that no other religion would even dare to speak of. Every religion in this world is boiled down to this principle. You do good. You bring your record of good before the God and you hope it is enough. You say, accept me because what I have done and who I am. Bless me because of my works of goodness and righteousness. Christianity knows none of that. Christianity rather says, as we've established, is you are evil. Therefore, you cannot get God's acceptance based upon your goodness. The only way you can is that you embrace what Christ has done for you. It humbles you, right? You have to admit you're evil. Many people say, I'm not going to do that. You have to be humbled before you get a Savior. Only people who know they need saving will look for a Savior. There's humbling. God says you have to humble yourself in order to be saved. You think, well, how is it possible that if I'm evil, this holy God is going to accept me as a child? I mean, how, is, how does that work? A holy, perfect God taking evil people into His family? Well, it works because there was one time in which a father, when his son asked for a fish, gave him a serpent. And his son asked for an egg, and he got a scorpion. And it's when Jesus Christ was hanging on the cross. And he deserved food and nurture and care. Instead, he got wrath and abandonment and rejection. Jesus Christ was given this serpent. God let the serpent at him. He was given the, the scorpion so that you don't have to. So that you might be saved. He was rejected, the perfect man, so that you and I, evil people, can be accepted. He was kicked out of the family so that you and I can be adopted as God's son. Is God your father? The Bible says in John 1.12, to all who did receive Jesus, who, listen, believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The Bible doesn't say because you did all these things, God gave you the right to become children of God. It doesn't say because you were a good person that he gave you the right to become a child of God. He says because you believed in the crucified and risen Savior and bowed your knee to Him as King and Lord. That's how you become a child. All you have to do is receive Christ even now. 
you receive Christ as your Savior and brother, you will have God as your Father, and He will be a good Father to you forevermore. I implore you to receive Him. Now for us, Hamilton Baptist Church, thank you for 15 days of focused prayer. As we close this time, I've been praying from the beginning, not just the beginning of these 15 days, but about six or eight months when God laid this on my heart, that this would not simply be a 15-day exercise that God would change us. It has been my great joy for, uh, over the last 15 days, I had 10 prayer meetings with you. And ten special times of prayer, fasting and prayer, and early morning prayer, and late night prayer, and Friday night testimony and prayer. My hope is that God would make us desperate for Him, that God would change us, that He would start a new work in us. Only time will tell. I don't, I don't know if He has, to be perfectly honest. But let me tell you this as we end. My... my <laughs> My conviction as your pastor, and I don't know if that means anything to you. For some, it may not. But as your pastor, one of the strongest convictions in my heart right now is that we have a void in this family. And it is earnest, diligent, desperate prayer. I read the book of Acts. I see how the church started, and they just prayed and prayed. I travel the world. I go to places like Ghana, Tijuana. I go, I go to places like Tana, Azerbaijan. And you know what I find the church doing? Praying so does God. Please help us. We need you. May God do a new work in us. May God change us. In fact, as you notice, we, we put some of our praise at the end. I'm going to ask the praise band to come up now. And as we, as we, why don't you guys come on up? As we started... Two weeks ago, we started with a response, a call to response to pray. I'm going to give you another opportunity now. We're going to sing two songs for us, and we're going to be over. I want to encourage you perhaps to take this first song, not to join them in singing, but to call out to God and ask Him to continue the work in which He has started in your heart and started in our church. And maybe that means you you grab a loved one's hand and you say, let's pray together. Let's pray that God would do something new and powerful. Let's pray for the Spirit. Maybe it means you come down front and you humble yourself and you kneel and these steps, to taking a place of humility, pleading with God. Maybe, maybe it's you just pray silently in your heart. But may God do a work in us. May we pray to Him as His faith family. And praise band is going to sing, and if you feel like you're done praying, you could stand up and sing along. And by the time they get to their second song, uh, maybe we'll all be done and we'll all be able to stand up and praise our God.